0: Let's seek the Lord's favor on his word tonight, shall we? <laughs> our Heavenly Father, we're praying that we may have a good uh, moment in your word again tonight. and Consider the truths of it and its relevance for us. and That we might receive your word in faithfulness. That we would seek all the more, Lord, to rest in the grace of Christ and show forth its impact in our lives as we live the new life to which you've called us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, May we find that the spirit of that new life, the way in which that all works itself out, and the the basic elements of it may be found all the more living in our lives by your spirit, who we ask will help us tonight, has inspired your word, and whom we need every day, so that we might live a more sanctified life before you. We'd ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13 is our passage tonight. As we, uh, as I mentioned, if you weren't here this morning, uh, that we're switching things up a little bit for a little while anyway, and uh, looking at the Heilberg Catechism tonight for a little while. And then we're going to be looking at some passages in the morning that talk to us about the suffering of Christ, the rejection of Christ, and uh, tonight then we're going to be carrying on in our series out of the Heidelberg Catechism. We're looking at Lord's Day 33 uh, and the calling there to, and the understanding of genuine repentance or conversion, what that looks like for us in our lives as we live the new life in Christ, and this is a portion out of 1 Thessalonians that helps us again to see that calling that we have to live that new life in Christ. We hear a report from Timothy, and and this is something that the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens for us. Start with verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly... And long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Now we live. If you're standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? We pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I'm grateful for God's word that we could read it publicly tonight, we uh, take a moment to respond to it, looking at Lord's Day 33, and we got questions 88, 89, 90, 91 there. We carry on in the gratitude section of the Catechism, where it starts out in question 88 by asking, What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things the dying away of the old self, and the coming to life of the new. Question 89 asks, Well, what is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sin. To hate it more and more. To run away from it. Question 90 asks, what is the coming to life of the old, of the new self? And the answer is it's wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And the delight to do every kind of good that God wants us to. Question 91 asks, What do we do that is good? The question is answered by this. Only that which arises out of true faith, conforms to God's law, is done for his glory, and not that which is based on what we think is right, or on established human tradition. Again, may the Lord's word be of a blessing to us tonight. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what lies ahead for you? Now, that's not a very uncommon question for us to hear, or even for us to ask. I get asked that all the time. What are you going? To, what's going to happen in your week? What do you got coming up this week? It's a nice conversation piece, isn't it? To know what's going on in the time that's ahead of us. And certainly, when we begin a new week, we get people asking that. Maybe the same of what we've been doing, or we could be facing some new challenges. Uh, something different from the the week before, because we whatever it was we had to do last week, we got finished, and now we're looking at new things this week that are somewhat different from what happened the last. But as we approach the future. We're always about to enter something new, whether it's a new week, a new year, a new occupation, a a new stage of life, new responsibilities. Some, of course, we know, look at the future and they say, different day, same old thing, or they get rougher when they talk like that. But every day is a new one. And as a new day, it's a day where Christians are called to newness and to renewal in Jesus Christ. That's part of what makes every day a precious one. Not just because we have just so many days, we say in our life, and life is short, But every day is precious because every day is a new opportunity to be of service to the Lord and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It brings a freshness to the day. Each new day is a day where we're called to live the new life that we have in Christ. And so for the Christian, the new day or the new week is not just something different. It's meant to be a new period of time, where where, and when we become more and more what the Lord wants us to be, increasing and abounding in love, for instance, as the Apostle says to us here in our passage, renewed by the Spirit of God, making the most of the day in serving our Savior as long as it's called today. The answer then as to what lies ahead for us is a very relevant question. It's a very important question. It's a, it's a precious one to be able to answer correctly, or at least on its basic uh, uh, foundation. On a very basic level, we're all called to look at what lies ahead for us as our calling to live the new life in Christ. That's what lies ahead. And we want to consider the spirit and the dynamic and the essence of, of that life tonight. So first we're going to look at and consider the spirit in which we live that new life. Now there are different things that we could say about the spirit in which we're to live that new life in Christ as we go forward, as we think about what life ahead. But one of the things is that the spirit of the new life is meant to be a sincere one. And, and as a church, we've confessed that. We say we're to be genuinely sorry for sin, and there is to be a wholehearted joy in God through Christ, and a delight to do everything, every kind of good as God wants us to. There's there's a sincerity about this uh, approaching the new life as we're looking ahead to what lies ahead for us as we live that new life. There was a concern for Paul that drove him to send Timothy to Thessalonica to find out whether or not the faith of the people there was genuine or whether his work as he would say earlier in the letter was in vain i mean the very the very letter that's being written here by the apostle paul is written in response to what he finds excuse me what he finds out Uh, Now, the word genuine is not found in our passage, not found in this text, but but Paul was certainly looking for evidences of the faith that the Thessalonians had. he, he he, He wants to have news brought about their faith and love, a report, and whether or not it was genuine or not, whether there was evidences of it or not. And this is what he finds. He does. Timothy finds it. This is a good report that Timothy gives because Timothy found them kind, and he found them as those who were remembering the apostle and Timothy and the, and the Christian leadership that way, and and they had this longing, you see, to be able to see him to be together. And it equaled uh, the longing that the Apostle Paul had to see them. He's writing as kind of a, you know, it's an important thing. I mean, it's, God used it in his providence and in, and in his plans to, to make it part of the holy canon of Scripture. But he'd rather be with them. He'd rather be with them. And and uh, so he writes, which is the next best thing at that time, But their faith, their hope, their love in Christ is evident. And Timothy was able to report that to them. And again, as I mentioned, this letter was written in part in response to the report that Timothy receives or gives to Paul on the spiritual health of the people that he hadn't seen for a while. And he thanks the Lord for the evidences of a true faith in their lives. And he did that at the very beginning of the letter, right? Just to encourage them. He said, I thank God for how he is working in your life because your labor of faith and love and your steadfastness of hope has been made evident and it's, it's, it's showing forth everywhere you go, wherever you are. And it's, it's spreading out, it's having its impact beyond your own borders. And he's talking about that here too. But the Catechism recognizes the Scripture's calling that our faith isn't supposed to be something phony or for the moment. It's to be a faith that's genuine and steadfast, a a spirit that knows a spirit of genuine, a faith, I should say, that knows the spirit of of genuine repentance. Because if you notice that, that's how the the Catechism begins. You know, it, It talks about being genuinely sorry, wholehearted joy, but the very first thing it talks about, the question is, what's involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Because it knows that there is insincerity. It knows that there's phony repentance. There is the uh, the uh, the worldly repentance that occurs. You can have worldly repentance where people are only sorry because they got caught. Not because they're really sorry for what they did. They wouldn't even have, have, have confessed it if they hadn't been caught and, and now know the consequence and the shame of what they did. You can have phony repentance when the only thing that people are sorry about is that you're sad about what you did to them. I've seen that occur too. Maybe you, I'm sure you've seen that happen too, where people they are not really so sad about what they've done. They're just sad because other people don't like what it is that they've done. That's a whole different ballgame. They're sad because, they're sorry because those people can't appreciate what these people have done, which wasn't a good thing to do in the first place. So they might say something like, yeah, we're sorry that you have a bad response. I'm not sorry for what I've done, but I'm sorry that you don't like what I did. And that that puts us at off. You can have phony repentance with somebody who looks good on the outside, but it's so hypocritically different on the inside. They're, they're a certain way with certain people, and then when they're somewhere else, they've uh, shed those phony clothes, and then you can see what they're really wearing. A true repentance and conversion, of course, it's not simply that somebody's sincere either, right? Because People can be sincerely wrong in what they do. The apostle knows what that was like uh, when he was uh, zealous against the church, but his zeal was misguided. Right? Having zeal in itself means nothing. But Paul was, was truly concerned that, that those who had come to faith were who they said they were. And church leaders get like that, right? They get concerned about people who come to faith, or who say they come to faith, and say they are one thing, and then they aren't that at all. And you have to be, there's always that concern that you don't get so overly, overly uh, rotted out because of it. But, it still is part of, I think what you would say would be the suffering of Christ that occurs with people who care about people who who say all the right things when they have to say them. And then you don't see them ever again or they don't act on what they said they were. And that can drive you nuts. I say that colloquially it doesn't do that but it, it, it upsets it upsets a person in that position now people say they come to faith but over the course of time you come to see if these professions are sincere or not when they are sincere you just take great joy in it. you do you just love it you would love being with those people you love uh, their presence you're glad whenever you see them right uh, because you, it's like what the Apostle Paul is facing here. You know, he, just, he longs to be with these people, and he longs to be with them even more now because he's heard about how genuine their faith was. And Christians love to be with other Christians like that. You know, it, it, but, it, but there's enough people who, who will talk the other way, and, uh, and, and, and their faith is phony. And it's not because they're not not—they're perfect in practice, because nobody is. right? But be, it's because it becomes evident that other things have become more important to them than the praise of God and and the care for His people and the following and the delighting in God's way. It becomes very evident. Sooner or later, it becomes very evident. Other things have become more important to them than what they first said, when they said that Jesus was their all-in-all, all. oh yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's my all-in-all, all, all right. Oh, that's that's wonderful. And then, if you know, a few years later or whatever it is, not the truth. You delight when it's true. You don't when it's not. Whether people delight in the grace of the Lord or not becomes evident. A grateful spirit eludes them. They can't be grateful. They don't enjoy being around other Christians, let alone long to be with them. They minimize that. They, delighting God's ways is replaced with indifference or with a delight for what's lawless or a so-what attitude. Being with God's people in worship isn't a priority because delight and grace of the Lord is, has never really been appreciated. Because when you appreciate that, Right? Then, then the praise of God becomes priority. To see a genuine spirit, a spirit of sincerity in the person living a new life in Christ, one needs to see a grateful spirit and a spirit that takes joy, not in what's wrong, but, it, but a delight in what's right. Whether it's seeing it in oneself in Christ, uh, seeing it happening in themselves in Christ, or whether they see it happening in other people they see other people walking in the truth and they just love it. They love seeing it. You see the delight that Paul had when he heard that the Christians in Thessalonica, when they hear the good that they were doing in the name of Christ, he says, now we live. Verse 8 says, for now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. Now that's living. Yeah, you know, we hear people say that right now. This is the life. This is really living. 82 degrees and uh, 65 for a low. <laughs> that's really living. And you know, it's too bad when Christians are stereotyped, of course, people who, who don't know any joy. They can't take any joy out of life. Right? There's nothing, you shouldn't be enjoying life at all. Take no joy in the good things in life that the Lord has given to us. That's, that's too bad. Um, it's too bad when people are like that. It's too bad when people, are, Christians are all lumped together like that. It's just fine to enjoy what the Lord has provided. We don't have to feel guilty about that. But yet, our greatest joy is meant to be found in our delight in the Lord and His ways and seeing other people like that. And, and being around people like that. Can okay, we see those things that he commands us to do as, as meant for our delight and not for our burden? Again, like what we heard last week, you know, with 1 Corinthians 7, you know, it's circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't matter. What you can't control, what you can't be, doesn't matter. What matters is the commandments of God. That's what matters. That's what we should value. That's what we should delight in. Do we find ourselves taking greater delight in doing things our way, you know, kind of like the catechism says, what we think is right, or do we take more delight in the way things that that God wants us to be doing? What, What lies ahead for us that way? What's going to be the path of delight down which we go, is it going to be a path of delight in the ways of the Lord and a sincere and, and grateful spirit like the Apostle Paul sees and expresses? Or will our lives be marked by our delight in an impenitent way, an ungrateful way, a phoniness of spirit? Mindful, uh, mind you, living a new life is a process, and that's, that's our second point here. We see that uh, in the dynamics of this new life. It's a putting to death of the old, and it's a coming to life of the new. And, and that's a lot of what the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, doesn't he? He does that especially in this, in this letter. He does it also in the second letter that he sends. But, but he, he's, he's delighting in what he sees, but he also is praying that there'll be more than more of what they've already been. What, you know, what, what is it that lies ahead for us? What did the apostle, what's he praying for? What's he seeking in, in the lives of these people? May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. We seek and pray to progress and progress some more in that process. We pray for sanctification of that which is impure in us. The Apostle Paul was grateful for what he saw with the Thessalonians, but he knew they still had a race to run, still had a fight to fight, still had a faith to keep. They were saved in Christ, but they had a life to live for Christ. In newness. All the more, with every new day that that arose. He wanted to see to it that the Lord provided what, or he wanted to provide what was lacking in their faith, he said. They had, after all, a misguided understanding about the Lord's return, and it was affecting the way that they were looking at their callings in life. If, If the Lord's coming back pretty soon, well, why do I care what I do? Because I'm just polishing the brass on the sinking ship. Now they had shown forth faith, hope, and love, but that was no call for complacency. They were called to this more and more. Not that time of the year, but you know, we oftentimes when we think about graduations, we talk about commencement, right? Which which speaks to us about beginning. Which you'd say, well, I, I'm a, I'm at a graduation. This is the end. And sure, your your high school years and your college years or your grade school years. And they come to an end. But with an ending comes new beginning. So what lies ahead? Well, the same is true for the Christian faith. With each new day, you know, you come to an end to one and you begin a new one. It's a new beginning for you and for me. And it's a new opportunity that's given to us to praise God. To serve Him well. In our passage, Paul calls people to to further love so that their hearts would be strengthened. And and doing good that way more and more strengthens our spiritual hearts. Kind of like when you're exercising more and more, you recognize that that strengthens your physical heart. If you decide to give up on that, you know, you decide to give up on all of that, then, then that affects your heart, your physical heart. But if you it's the same with the spiritual side of it, right? When you're doing more and more of that, it strengthens your spiritual heart. Helps you to grow. So you grow stronger spiritually. And we're tempted uh, to that malaise, aren't we? To that atrophy. We're tempted to that approach in the Christian walk, to, to, to rest on our, our, our spiritual laurels. Um, And, you know, I think as as a person gets older, there's a strong temptation to that. Maybe I'm speaking personally that way, but there's a a strong temptation to that. To say, well, you know, we've we've come this far, and that's far enough. And let somebody else uh, do things to rest on our spiritual laurels. But life is too short for that. We don't have that many years here, and uh, the older you get, the more you recognize that. Uh, our time here is short. It seems like a long run sometimes, but it's not as long as we oftentimes think it is, and uh, and there's, the, there's a temptation to just to do that in the Christian life, in the Christian walk, to say, well, just... You know, let somebody else do it. Or, uh, I, you know what, I, I've, I've, I've reached graduation. <laughs> There's no new beginnings for me. And that can happen whether we've recently professed Christ or whether we've, we've been people who have professed Christ for decades. You know, that our kids look at it and say, boy, that's a long time ago. It doesn't seem like it was when we're older. Yeah, I mean, I think about that when I profess my faith. I always remember December 17, 1978. And, you know, some of the younger people, you know, around 1978, you know, did they even have color TV back then. You know, just so long ago, it seems. Well, it doesn't matter whether it was so long ago or not, you know, or whether it was, you know, 2008, or whether it was not uh, 2018, or whether it was uh, 2022, or, or even this year. There's a temptation to just say, "Yeah, you know what? I've done what I've had to do. I've ticked the boxes, and uh, I'm done with it." But you look at the situation with the Apostle Paul and the Church of Jesus uh, of Jesus Christ at, Thessalon- at Thessalonica. Far from wanting to grow apart, they sought to grow closer together. It's part of the evidences of genuine conversion. Part of the maturing process, the sanctifying process, the more and more nature of those who live the new life in Christ. Every new day is a day to live a life newer than the day before. That's a a great way to, to look at getting up in the morning. We don't expect to be perfect in our Christian life on this side of glory, but neither do we live in the self-complacency that is satisfied with the notion that we have no responsibility to be better people than we were the day before. Or that we sought to say, well, we've been good people, and now we're not going to be anymore. Let somebody else be more loving and more hopeful and more discerning and more faithful and more fruitful. Be loving and joyous, and patient, and long-suffering, and more sensitive to, to other people's faults and sins, and more sensitive to our own. More, more hateful of it. More joyous in 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 delighting in the Lord. And I meant not sensitive to our faults, other people's, but be more long-suffering in them where love covers a multitude of sins, to be more resistant to the the devil's prowling, more desirous to fill what's lacking in our faith, and in the process then, living all the more the new life to which we're called in Christ. That's what lies ahead. The essence of that new life is something that the apostle noticed in the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians as well. When he could see that what they were doing and our passage speaks to that, right? Uh, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported to you always remember us kindly and all the rest, he saw that that, that these things were arising out of a true faith. And that caused him delight. We confess that we do what is good that rises out of a true faith, conforms to the law of God. And it's done for the glory of God. And one of the things that, the, that made the apostles so thankful to the Lord, the spirit of the new life, is, is that he could really live, when he saw that the Thessalonians were living the new life in Christ. What a privilege given to the faith. We can speak about people doing good things, you know, invent things. I mean, I, never, I couldn't invent an iPhone. Or they pass good laws. Or they do a measure of civic good. But when, when we see that the privilege of doing what is good in the spiritual sense of the term is reserved, Christians, created in Christ, recreated in Christ, that in itself should be a motivation for us when we're thinking about what lies ahead for us to do them. Because we've been given that privilege and grace to do them. That God has fore, uh, you know, beforehand uh, ordained that we should walk in. That, that only those who know God's grace in Christ can know this. And every work that you do for the sake of the Lord Jesus that is a privilege. The words you speak, the attitudes you hold, the thoughts you think, the actions you take, it's what moves what we do out of the realm of the ordinary to the extraordinary. And and you don't even have to make the headlines for doing that. I mean, we may do extraordinary things for the for the sake of the Lord, but even the ordinary things, when we do them out of faith and with a grateful spirit for what God has done for us, done as those who know their children of the Heavenly Father, citizens of the kingdom, they become extraordinary things. Not everybody can do them, right? Sometimes we watch a sporting event. Why do we watch it? Because we watch these people and we marvel at what they're able to do that we cannot do. Well, you don't have to be a professional athlete to do marvelous things. We can do them when we have come to know the grace of the Lord on the faith in Christ because we do them as kingdom citizens. We do them as children of the Heavenly Father. And so we're to take advantage of the opportunity and do what we otherwise couldn't do or others couldn't do. The good that we've been called to do in Jesus. Of course, there are those who think that good is what they make good to be. Good is what they like. Good is what feels good. Uh, Good is what most people think is good, and and those are strong pulls and pushes in our society. But that's the spirit of the impenitent and the lawless. That's no different than the world. We we, we must always go back to the law or the word of the Lord. Some would, would equate spiritual with lawless. Spiritual is the lawful. That law to which we're, we want to conform sincerely, gratefully, joyously, and that's where we want to go from here. And that's where the catechism goes from here also, as we look at the Ten Commandments. If the destination whose end is in the glory of the Lord, no matter what our situation, we don't want to go anywhere without the glory of the Lord as our purpose. Nowhere. What will we do? What decision will I make? What way will I choose? What path will I take? What makes this new life in Christ new? What will keep it looking new? Will my God be glorified wherever I go? Or will I suspend that purpose just for my own survival and my own welfare? That's not real living. I truly live not in my own glory, but in the glory of my God. That's the direction I need to go. So easy to make our own pleasure and renown and advantage is the essence of living. Such was not the case with our Savior nor is it to be that way for us. Now you and I are all at different stages in life and stations in life. But we can all ask the question about ourselves or other people, you know, what life ahead for you? Will it be a with a spirit that sincerely, gratefully, and joyously seeks to be everything that Christ would have you be all the more, all the time, for everything that he's done for you? Will you do so as somebody who has come to know salvation in Christ alone, called to the glory of God in faith according to God's law? Because if you do, if that is what lies ahead for you, then you're really living. You know where to go from here as you live the new life in Christ. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can turn to you and, and find in your Word the direction that we need. So when people ask us, and we people could ask us about what we're going to do, we could tell them this, that, and the other thing, but but, Lord, to, to recognize especially that the life ahead for us, oh, living the new life in Christ. Every day, all the more increasing in love, abounding, so that our hearts might be strengthened, serve you all the more the spiritual flywheel, almost, as it were, to, where we just grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ because sincerely and uh, progressively and in accordance, Lord, with a, a faith that is motivated for the glory of God, and that is defined by your word and law. Uh, Help us, Lord, to look at life that way, something worth living when we're living for the one who lived for us and died indeed, our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.